God, we thank you today for welcoming us into your presence. Thank you that when we enter into your presence, there is a sense of joy. There is a sense of victory. God, that's what we experience today, and we thank you so much for that. And now, as we continue to worship you, Lord, I pray that you'll give us that same kind of spirit as we look into your word, as we allow your word to penetrate our heart and speak to us. God, I pray that you would change our life today, change our perspective today. We can give praise and glory and worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Ezra. Ezra chapter 3. As we, we continue our journey. And, uh, I don't know about you, but... I would rather be in the house of the Lord with God's people celebrating and giving praise to God uh, than any other place on planet Earth today. Um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you remember where you were on Easter Sunday 2020? Remember where you were? Chance is you were at home. I'll never forget the feeling of sitting at home trying to celebrate Easter, trying to worship in front of a television screen. I mean, it was um, a great service that our worship team had put together, and it was a great, uh, a, a great experience as much as it could be, but there was just something missing not being in the presence of God's people, not being in the family of God gathered together. Easter worship that year just was not the same. Now imagine having a void like that for 70 years, being removed from the place of worship, being removed from the place where God's Spirit dwelt and where God interacted with His people, and for 70 years, that being absent from your life, that had to be a spiritually and emotionally painful experience for every single person who had experienced worship in the house of the Lord. But now finally, after 70 years, God used Persian King Cyrus to allow the captives to return to Israel and restore worship in Jerusalem. And so this was a time of, 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 of great joy. Last week, we looked at the necessity for worship to come from clean, purified hearts in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3 of Ezra. And in the middle of those seven drops of bleach, there was the place for restored worship. And that's where we want to pick up today. We want to pick up right in the middle of that and discover from Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, why the place of worship is vital to walking with God in worship. We saw in Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, the focus on restoring worship through the altar being set in place, through the sacrificial system, and then through the festival celebrations that were restored. These celebrations had been established during the Exodus, 
And God had initiated the Passover celebration to remind Israel how he led them out of Egypt and how he led them into the promised land and how he set up structures for being able to worship him. So now returning from exile, these celebrations were restored. I know some of you have uh, been in and out of the worship experience over the past few weeks because of a number of different reasons. But isn't it great to be able to return, to celebrate the worship of God together with the, with the family of God? One more thought before we dive into the text this morning. 500 years after this return of these exiles back to Jerusalem, John introduced Jesus in the first chapter of his gospel, the first chapter of John, through the message of John the Baptist. He introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now that is something to celebrate. That is something to be joyful about. Nothing is more central to our worship today than God providing the sacrificial Lamb to take away our sins. Creator God actually became flesh. And he became the sacrificial lamb to pay the penalty for the price of your sin and my sin. And again, that's great grounds for celebration. So as we open the text now and look at verses 8 through 13 of chapter 3 of Ezra, look for five things about this place of worship. Five things about the place of worship. First of all, the place of worship is the place for God. Now that might seem just like a no-brainer. It might seem like, you know, we, we can just take that one for granted. But in verse 8 of Ezra chapter 3, Now in the second year after coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. Now that's an interesting phrase. To the house of God at Jerusalem. See, the place for worship is the place for God. There was no house of God at Jerusalem when Ezra wrote this. If you've been with us on our journey through Ezra this year, you, you know that at this point in Israel's history, there was no physical house of God at Jerusalem. These exiles had just returned from 70 years of captivity, and their purpose for coming back to Israel was to rebuild the temple. The Babylonians had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple. And all the bright and able-bodied men had been taken captive and exiled to Babylon. But now they were allowed to return. They were allowed to come back and restore the temple and restore the worship of God in the temple. God has a special place for Jerusalem. He always has, and He always will. One day, the ultimate temple will be restored, and eternal worship will be reestablished in Jerusalem forever and ever and ever and ever. 
coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. It's exciting. And there's a, there's a wonderful picture here, an interesting picture here. As Evan mentioned earlier, we have an aspect of the temple of God today that is even more exciting for you and me, though. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Are you aware that you are the temple of God? The house of God today is in the believer, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. The place for worship is the place for God. And the house of God at Jerusalem, yes, it needed to be rebuilt the presence of God was special and powerful to that generation of people. But for you and me today, we are the temple of God. What does that mean? Well, it means that your thoughts as a part of the temple of God, your thoughts should reflect the holiness of God. Your actions should reflect the, the, the very work of God. Your habits should reflect the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, that you are the dwelling place of God in our generation today. And so the power of God is fully released and fully alive in those who are believers in Jesus Christ today. In John's Gospel, chapter 4, just one more thought here. Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman. He confronted her sin, and she turned the conversation to worship. She said, our people worship at Jacob's well. You worship in Jerusalem, but our people worship at Jacob's well. And in John chapter 4, and verse 24, here's what Jesus said. He said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So today, you and I have the opportunity to reflect the very nature, the very personality of God in our life as the temple of God. Let me challenge you today not to let today pass without connecting with God. Because the place of worship is the place for God. You can come here and go through a, a, a service like this, go through a ritual like this, and never really connect with the heart of God, never really connect with the person of God. And that would be criminal, that would be a shame to come into a place like this, gathered with the people of God, and not realize that the only reason we're here, let me say that again, the only reason we're here is to connect with God. So the place of worship is the place for God. Secondly, the place for worship is the place for leaders to lead. Leaders to lead. Now, we looked at this in 
pretty much detail when we, when we looked at chapter 2 of Ezra, but let's just briefly go back and revisit the place for leaders to lead. In verse 8 through 10, Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. In order for the temple to be rebuilt, leaders had to step up to the plate and lead. We have some primary leaders listed here. The first one is Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a natural leader by birth. The text tells us here that he was the son of Shealtiel. He was a direct descendant of Jeconiah. Jeconiah was the last king who reigned when Babylon came in and wiped out Jerusalem, wiped out um, the temple. And he was a direct descendant. So he was a natural leader by birth. He descended from Jeconiah, the last king before the exile. So just because he was a natural leader didn't mean that he, had, he didn't have to take up his mantle and lead. Just because he was supposed to be a natural leader didn't make him a leader. He was a leader because he stepped up to the plate to actually lead. Jeshua was the high priest under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And again, he had to take his responsibility. He had to step up and lead. He and Zerubbabel served together well. In the first part of verse 8, we see we're now in the second year after they're coming to the house of, the God, at, house of God at Jerusalem. The, the first two years after these exiles returned from from Babylon, they spent the first two years preparing and gathering materials, doing preparation work to get ready to begin to build the temple. This is so practical. Adequate preparation is always necessary for work to be efficient and effective. Uh, Give you an example. This past weekend, my, my wife spent a day in the kitchen. And half of the day, the front half of the day, she was gathering supplies, gathering materials, preparing for the work that she was going to do for the rest of the day. That's what great leadership does. Another example, every week, our worship team here leads us to the heart of God, leads us to the throne of God in very effective worship. I hope you're aware that they spend several hours every week preparing their hearts spiritually so they can lead us and take us to God's throne. Again, <clears throat> that's great leadership. Verse 9 says, Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of 
Hanadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward <clears throat> with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. So leadership was critical to the rebuilding of the temple. The Levites, from 20 years old and above, were appointed to oversee the work. Now, under the Levitical law, Moses had commanded the Levites to begin their service at 30 years of age. 30 years of age. In Numbers chapter 4, we see that. But David, in preparation for beginning the first temple, Solomon's temple, changed the starting point of Levitical service from 30 years to 20 years of age. We see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. So under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they adopted David's leadership practice, revised leadership practice. A place of worship is a place for leaders to lead. God is calling some of you to step up to the plate and lead. It starts with our own individual lives, continues in our family, but especially in our church. God is calling some today to step up to the plate and lead regardless of your age. See, God can, God can call and equip and use whoever he chooses. The best thing you can do when, when, when God calls you into leadership, into service, is to step up and go to work. Step up and serve. I said this in chapter 2, but every organization, including our church, rises and falls on leadership. Young leadership may have some rough edges as these 20-year-old, I'm sure these 20-year-old these, these Levites were not nearly as mature and seasoned as the older Levites were. Younger leadership may have its rough edges, but the earlier a seasoned leader steps up and begins to pour into a younger leader, the better. At Palmetto Shores this year, if, 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 if you've been looking at our discipleship pathway, you'll see that, that we are initiating a coaching process this year. For a coaching process to be successful, we need mature coaches who will be willing to, to share life with men and women on a spiritual level and go deep in the things of God together. This process is not a fast process. It, in fact, it's a, it's a slow process, but, and it begins with preparation. But it will pay great dividends for our church if God is calling you to get involved in something like that, to, to get involved and go into service. A place for worship is a place for leaders to lead. Thirdly, the place for worship is a place for order. We see that in verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, 
the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. Now we saw in the first part of Ezra 3 in the first seven verses where there was a demonstration of an order for worship. Remember, the first thing the people did, rather than go to their houses and establish their houses and establish everything about their uh, dwelling place, they gathered together in Jerusalem. Then after they gathered in Jerusalem, they built the altar and they set the altar in place. Sacrifices were essential to worship God. Then the feast and the festivals were restored. And then the builders began to lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord. And when that happened, worship just broke out. Led by the priests in full vestments and blowing trumpets and worship leaders sounded cymbals to praise the Lord. So the order was Very important. This order, by the way, was very similar uh, to the massive ceremony and the celebration when Solomon first dedicated the very original temple, the first temple, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Someone tallied the value of that original temple that David set into motion and Solomon built, the value being like $8 billion. I mean, it was an incredible structure. This one was far less elaborate than that, but the same order was followed in dedicating at least the foundation of this original, this second uh, temple structure. God is a God of order. If you've been reading through the Old Testament with me this year, we just finished Exodus today and started the first two chapters of Leviticus. You've noticed that God is a God of detail. God established order for worship to take place among his people. He expected Moses and Aaron to construct and manage the tabernacle in order to make the atonement for sins and worship in the presence of God to be valid. And so today, here at Palmetto Shores, we gather to worship because gathering is important. We celebrate today the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. And our attitude should be one of eternal celebration for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. I trust that that's the, that's the spirit of, of your worship today. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, the Bible says, but all things should be done decently and in order. The place for worship is a place for order. And then fourthly, the place for worship is a place for celebration. Celebration. Look at what happened in verse 11. They sang responsively 
praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures toward forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. These people had a mission. Their mission was still a long way from being completed when this worship broke out. But they began to make progress. And so as they began to make progress, they joined into an awesome celebration. They sang responsively. They recognized the Lord God for who he is. Look at it, it says, giving thanks to the Lord for he is good. Are you aware of how good God really is? I mean, you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the goodness of God. And these worshipers celebrated the fact that God is good. Then they celebrated not only the fact of who he is, but they, they recognized his, his primary trait. His primary trait is enduring steadfast love. Are you aware that there is nothing you could ever do Nothing you could ever do to keep God from loving you. His steadfast, enduring love is who He is. And for you and me to know Him is to worship Him, to celebrate Him, to give praise and glory to Him. Remember now, these people had just experienced 70 years of discipline. Seventy years of exile. And yet they still realized who God was. They still recognized who God was and poured out their worship to Him. Just because they had fallen under the discipline of God and the correction of God, the judgment of God, didn't mean that their view of God ever changed. And I pray that that's true for you today. I pray that no matter what circumstances you go through, you recognize who God is. And give glory to Him for who He is. This celebration that broke out, they had no ark. They had no visible glory. They had no temple. It was only a small beginning. But that beginning erupted in worshipful praise. Worshipful praise. How long has it been since you broke out in worshipful celebration and praise of God? I remember back just after the, the new year. Uh, I remember seeing pictures of some of you who were in Atlanta. The passion. I saw people jumping around, jumping up and down, giving praise from heartfelt worship. And I would trust and pray that that would be the experience that all of us would be able to enjoy as we pour out our celebration to the Lord. 
I pray that that will become a regular routine, not just a once in a while kind of experience for all of us. I know we, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate weddings and, and birthdays. Celebrating the glory of God simply for who He is, what He does for you and me, is a worthy celebration. I've been taking this treatment on my face. Some of you who maybe have never seen me before, um, looks like I got something growing on the side of my face. I know that. Uh, it's been a very challenging time for me. Um, back in November, I had melanoma removed from my face, and they came back a few weeks ago and started this treatment <coughs> that is designed to kill all the unhealthy cells skin cells that are on my face. Well, if you get up close, you're going to see I'm not a very healthy-faced guy. I mean, it, I mean, half my face is literally falling off. It's been, the, the, the worst part of this treatment has been the side effects. Um, nausea, fever, um, aches and pains. They described it like flu-like symptoms. And it's been a very uncomfortable kind of experience. I share that with you to say this. When this stuff all is cleared up, you're talking about one, one bird that's going to be celebrating. I am going to be celebrating like I've never celebrated before. I'm ready to get this behind me. I'm ready to move forward uh, and, and get it behind me. In fact, it, it also reminds me of, of, of what Jesus has done for us. The blood of Jesus takes away the sin of the world. The most unhealthy cell and operation you have going on in your body is sin. And thanks be to God, Jesus Christ has paid the price for the penalty of your sin and my sin. And his, his blood cleanses us from the unhealthiness of sin. And to know that it's to celebrate. I don't know about you, but I can't help but celebrate when I realize what Jesus Christ has done for me to wash away my sin. So the place of worship is a place of celebration. And finally this morning, the place of worship is a place for transparency. It's a place for transparency. Let's see where we come up with that. In verse 12, many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from far away. So after 70 years, these older leaders had remembered the glory of the original temple, Solomon's temple. And they wept because this restored foundation was so inferior to the original foundation. Their emotions were raw. 
Now, there are a couple reasons why they could have been weeping. One reason could have been that they had regrets from failing to lead in their original temple. And because of their failure to lead appropriately, the temple had been destroyed. Not only the temple, but all of Jerusalem had been totally ransacked, wiped out. They could have been looking back and regretting what could have been if they had been faithful in stepping up to their leadership responsibilities. I look back on my leadership failures in the past, and I can certainly relate to the emotions of these older leaders. wonder what regrets you have. What regrets do you have to express to God in honest worship? I think we all could recount some regrets. But then there was this new generation. There was this younger generation. I love this younger generation. I love their enthusiasm. Their emotional celebration was so joyful that they drowned it out the sound of the old men who were weeping and regretful. They realized that the future was far more important to make the best out of the future than feeling sorry about what had happened in the past. So when your focus is totally on placing God in the center of your life and worship, it's always appropriate to be honest with your emotions. How transparent are you when it comes to expressing worship to God? What could it be like for us to really be transparent? I mean... There are times when it might be appropriate for us to come forward to the front and kneel before God, just pour out our heart to God and let Him deal with what's going on maybe in sin in our life, maybe with, um, with stuff that's going on in our life that, that, that we need to clear up between Him. And the best way to honor Him with that is to, is to come here to the front. It could be that, that, that when we are celebrating in worship that, you know, we, we're, we're free to lift up our hands in worship and, and just celebrate before the Lord unashamedly, not in some fake mechanical kind of way, but just as an as a honest expression, just being transparent before God and showing our, our worship and our, our love to Him. It could be that when everybody else is standing up and everybody else is engaged in singing that your heart is moved and, and you sit back down and you just deal with what God is, 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 is working in your, in your life to reveal to you and drawing you, drawing you close to Him. It's okay to follow your emotions and do what, what God leads you to do when it comes to being transparent and lifting up his name and worshiping him. Don't be afraid to express your emotions in worship. The place of worship is a place for transparency. That's what God honors. That's what God's looking for anyway. 
He wants you to be real. He wants you to be you. So how can we take this part of our passage today and make application to our life? First of all, true worship focuses on God. Glorifying Him is the key. I mean, He is the only reason why we're here. So connect with Him. Focus on Him. Listen to Him as He speaks. Respond by giving your all to Him and obeying what He asks you to do. And then secondly, life flows from obedient worship. Life flows from obedient worship. Sometimes we have sad emotions. Sometimes we have joyful emotions. But whatever emotions we have, realize that God honors us when we are open and obedient to worship Him. So I don't know how many more quarantine Sundays we'll ever have in our life. I hope none. I hope we never have to quarantine from worshiping in the house of God with God's people, celebrating God ever, ever, ever again. But today, I want you to know this. Today, I celebrate that gathering in God's house with God's people for the glory of God opens the door for life to be worshipful. And you've paid the price to be here today. And I I trust that you will not allow that process to fall incomplete. I trust and pray that you'll, you'll take advantage of the opportunity to let God deal with your heart as he deals with mine. In the next few moments, I'm going to I'm going to invite you to join me in a time of just praying together. I'm going to pray first and then we're going to take a couple of minutes and if you have a prayer request, feel free to share that. Um, but this is a time for you to respond in your spirit to what God has drawn you to and called you to in this service today. God, thank you that in Jesus' name we have been called into your presence to celebrate you and to worship you, to praise you, to give glory to you. God, I pray that as you work in our lives, I pray that if there's anything that that we need to confess before you, if there's anything that we need to dedicate to you, if there's anything we need to let you deal with us about, I pray, God, that we will be obedient, that we will let you have your way in our life now. So continue to deal with us as we continue to seek you in prayer. In Jesus' name.